Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and join me in Isaiah 5. It'll be in Isaiah 5 this morning. If you're using the, the blue ESV Bible and the seatbacks out there, you can find our text on page 570. Isaiah 5, we're going to be looking at verse 20 together this morning. The title of our sermon is Upside Down and Inside Out. In his book, uh, Strange New World, which I've referenced before with you, Carl Truman opens up uh, the book with an observation that there are many novels and movies whose central plots revolve around the main characters finding themselves trapped in a world where nothing behaves like you would expect. He then suggests that this phenomenon is no longer contained to the world of fiction. He writes this, For many people, the Western world in which we now live has a profoundly confusing and often disturbing quality to it. Things once regarded as obviously unassailable virtues have in recent years been subject to vigorous criticism and, in even, and even in some cases come to be seen by many as more akin to vices. He goes on, indeed, it can seem as if um, anything that almost everybody believed as unquestioned orthodoxy the day before yesterday, they are no, no longer regarded as such. But they are regarded as heresies, advocated only by the dangerous lunatic fringe. He says that this isn't just a problem that's out there either. Distortions regarding some of the most basic aspects of humanity, of human existence, have been intentionally foisted upon families. These confusions of these things has been brought upon families such that the confusion leads to unbelievable heartbreak and results in many of the most brutal engagements in the culture war They're played out around the dinner table and at family gatherings. Welcome to this strange new world, he laments. You may not like it, but it is where you live, and therefore it is important that you understand it. I want to begin today uh, an eight-week series. Um, We're going to get into the book of Genesis in the spring, but... In between Acts and Genesis, I want to take us through an eight-week series where I am aiming to set before you seven values that the elders have discussed and wrestled over, um, and not literally, we didn't literally wrestle over them, but uh, what we did, strive together to determine what are the, the values that must mark our church, that must mark Redeemer Baptist Church as we strive to carry out our mission in this strange new world. While I believe that the values that I'm going to set before you over the the next two months are principles that should govern uh, any church in some way or another, um, and also that there, I know that there there are other values that could have been chosen instead of these. But we need to know what particular challenges that we face as a church in Rinkin, Georgia, 
in 2024 and in the years to come. But the truth is we've chosen these values and we've framed them in very specific ways in order to take universal principles and apply them to very specific situations that we believe are of special relevance for us today. This means that this list that I will set before you before we're done this morning, uh, it's, it's not a, a list that is done forever and always, never to be amended or updated, never to be reconsidered, never to be improved upon. It is one that has particular relevance for the moment, though I do not believe that it is bound entirely to the present moment. So, So with that being said, before we get to the values, we need to see what we're up against. And so I'm going to read Isaiah 5.20, and then tell you what we're going to do, and then we'll get to it. Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There are a f- few single verses of the Bible that seem to describe our present predicament in Western culture more aptly than this one. And so I want to take this text up um, and consider it with you. Um, and we're going to talk this morning in three headings. The first, will comprise a summary of the situation that Isaiah confronted to which he wrote these words. So we're going to look at the the situation of Isaiah, and we're going to consider verse 20 for a bit. Second, we're going to give a summary of the way in which our own culture engages in this perverted valuation of existence. So how is it that our culture, largely, seeming in large swaths at least, has a lot of calling good evil and calling evil good. And then third, we'll conclude by building a positive articulation of what values we need to cultivate in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. So first, Isaiah 5.20 and its context. Isaiah 5 is uh, a final and very grim section in Isaiah's preface to his prophecy. In chapter 6, we see uh, his vision of the Lord on his throne, and we see there Isaiah commissioned to go preach to Israel a message that, uh, as we saw a few weeks ago in the book of Acts, they would ultimately reject. And of course, they do reject this message, and it comes as no surprise to us when they do, given all that Isaiah says about them in the opening chapters of the book. Isaiah 5, where we find ourselves today, we we encounter in this chapter a a vineyard song in the opening seven verses. Isaiah sings uh, of this vineyard. It belongs to the Lord. Yet sadly, it was an unfruitful vineyard. Though he looked for it to yield grapes, it yielded wild grapes, unfit for use and consumption. Verse 7 tells us that the vineyard is the house of Israel, the men of Judah. Verse 7 says, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. The conclusion 
says, I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. Then in verse 8 through verse 30 here, he laments the, the bitter, stinking crop that the, vine, the vineyard produced. In verses 8 through 12, Isaiah laments Israel's abuse of material benefits of life. The rich and powerful would use various legal-ish but definitely shady processes to run others off their lands so that they could build one large estate for themselves. And they ended up living alone, running everyone else off. In verses 10 to 12, he pronounces woe on those given to extravagances and, and drunkenness. He says they stay up all night drinking, disregarding the deeds and works of the Lord. He concludes in verses 13 to 17 that there will be total judgment in divine action. Death, humiliation, and ruin await the people of God. Isaiah then laments the pursuit of sin in verses 18 and 19. He laments the justification of sin in verse 20. He continues pronouncing woes on wicked Israel. He rebukes self-conceit in verse 21, drunkenness again in verse 22, and the love of money in verse 23. And he draws a final conclusion in verses 24 through 30. Judgment. God would summon against them an invincible foe. And so Isaiah 5.20 here, in, in some ways the, the, the central message of this chapter, it speaks about an inversion that occurs in the hearts of such a wicked people. They call good things evil, and they call evil things good. They call uh, sweet things bitter, and bitter things sweet. They call light darkness, and darkness light. In order to justify the kind of living to which they were devoted, they had to lie to themselves and to others. They had to convince themselves that objectively good, true, and beautiful things were bad, false, and ugly. And they had to convince themselves that objectively bad, false, and ugly things were good, true, and beautiful. So that's Isaiah. That's Isaiah's world in which he ministered. One full of people who loved themselves, who loved money, who constantly um, found others to be of less uh, value than they found themselves. They were drunk, engaging in depraved acts with one another of which it is not proper to speak in public or honestly even in private. And so what about us? What about our day? This brings us to our second heading this morning. Consider with me the state of the West. One way you could put it is that our country, Western society at large, is plagued with a strikingly similar situation. We have displaced the good, the true, and the beautiful. Daily, it seems, if you watch the news at all, we are losing our grip on reality itself. Now, our church meets here in Rinkin, Georgia. And while there is much that is commendable about our city, our state, uh, compared to other places at least, uh, 
while that's true, we would still be wrong to overlook the problems that do exist on the one hand, and on the other, we don't want to assume that things could never get worse here in Rinkin, Effingham County, the surrounding counties in our, our area. We can't assume that this place will never be affected more than it already is by the cultural rot and decay that plagues vast portions of Western society today. Let's face it, even here in Rinkin, we live in a culture that is increasingly devoted to things like satanic, microwavable self-worship that is marked by rampant individualism, greed, division, and ingratitude. Let me say that again. Even here, in quaint Rinkin, Georgia, we live in a culture that, is in, that increasingly promotes satanic, microwavable self-worship that is marked by rampant individualism, greed, division, and ingratitude. We could spend the, the whole morning reproducing example after example from probably just the past 48 hours of unbelievably wicked things that have been done and celebrated in public out in the open with no sense of shame or remorse. So certainly if we, didn't, if we only limited ourselves to America as a whole. I won't do that, but I do want to name a few things that I believe are of utmost importance. And please forgive me if I mention something not on your list or don't mention something that is on your list. We're working this out together. So I hope this is helpful, though. First, one thing uh, to note would be abortion. As I prayed Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And as such, it's fitting that we take a moment, we take stock of where we are in the fight against the genocide that our country has completely out in the open perpetrated against the least of us for the past 50 years. You remember that in June of 2022, the Supreme Court overturned the 1973 Roe decision. Now, since that decision in June to overturn it, states willing to enact strict limits on the procedure, they have seen, statistically, from what I could tell, decrease in number of abortions. Yet, states without such limits saw drastic increases. So, from what I could gather, in fact, there has been a net gain for the abortion industry in America as a whole. And we want to celebrate the overturning of Roe. But we'd be mad to conclude that abortion has been stopped or that it is no longer an issue in our country. We still have the blood of 60 million babies on our hands. So we're talking about calling good things evil and evil things good. Is not calling abortion a women's rights issue, a health care issue? By definition, calling something evil a good thing? Moving on. The, the transgender moment. The LGBT wave. Where do we even begin with this one? For children of individuals infected with the progressive hive mind who are fortunate enough to be born, they are by no means safe. 
even in pure Snow White Effingham County, you can find elementary and middle school age kids identifying anywhere they like on the human spectrum of gender and love, as well as those who find themselves not on the human spectrum at all. Abigail Schreier observes horrifying, a horrifying reality in her book, Irreversible Damage. It's a bit dated, but it's still helpful to hear this. She says between 2016 and 17, the number of gender surgeries for natal females in the U.S. quadrupled, with biological women suddenly accounting for 70% of all gender surgeries. In 2018, the United Kingdom reported a 4,400% rise over the previous decade in teenage girls seeking gender treatments. She summarizes... Many of the adolescent girls suddenly identifying as transgender, transgender seems to be, they seem to be caught in a craze, a cultural enthusiasm that spreads like a virus. Gender-affirming surgery as a term is an expression that well captures the concept of calling evil things good. A third thing, occultism. There's an alarming rise in interest in occult practices in Western society as well. Now, I knew some girls in my graduating class about 16 years ago who claimed to be witches, but they were fairly few and far between. Today, witchcraft videos hashtagged witch talk have amassed a staggering 51.5 billion views. Ayla Skinner, a witch living in Cornwall, had this to say, Years ago, you had to find a a, a coven and get initiated and trained. Now you can go to your local bookstore and grab a witchcraft book or book about crystals. She also expressed this, witchcraft gives you a bit of control back. You can live your life how you want. Witch Talk offers live-streamed tutorials, educational videos, and videos documenting the everyday lives of witches. We live in an embattled world that calls evil things good. Fourth thing, busyness. I won't say much about this one here, but we are all in such a hurry. One of my favorite songs growing up, one that I still love today, Alabama, I'm in a hurry and don't know why. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Such it is for us. How prophetic. We are constantly rushing about, busy, busy, too busy, 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 busy little bees buzzing around constantly stressed about how busy we are. I've talked about this ad nauseum in other places with with you, some of you. But I'm confident I don't have to prove this point to anybody. You feel it. You feel it in your bones. We're plagued with busyness that defines goodness as running ragged. Lastly, a deified state. Final issue worth mentioning regards the political class and our deified state. As the adage goes, power corrupts 
And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, we live under arguably the most powerful government that has ever existed in the history of the world. Therefore, the corrupting force of that power is, you could say, stronger in many respects than ever before. Now, I want to be clear. I do not mean to say that we live in the worst country in the world. I do not believe that at all. While I do detest much about almost every administration this country has had for the past 250 years, there's still no question that the principles of freedom, liberty, and personal responsibility upon which this country were founded, they were, not, uh, they were drawn, even if implicitly, from Christian theology and doctrine. And the blessing of God upon this country has been immense, making it, arguably, the best place in the world to live. And yet, we have to ask, for how much longer will that be true? I don't know. But I do know that kings who set themselves against the Lord and His anointed, according to Psalm 2, have an expiration date. Kings that do not give glory to God might just be struck down at a moment's notice. Think of Daniel 5 or Acts 12. Kingdoms that wage unjust wars against other nations or against their own people. They're brought low by the Lord on the regular. The United States is a relatively young empire. There's no guarantee that it will be a world leader of anything in six years from now or six months from now. But as it stands right now, we do live under a deified state, a state that has taken upon itself something similar to Caesar is Lord. It has set itself in nearly every conceivable way against the Lord and against His anointed. A work that it has been committing slowly but surely for many, many decades at this point. And it shows no signs, a la Psalm 2, of kissing the son lest he be angry and the rulers perish in the way. And so, the church, a light on a hill, called not to put its light under a basket, needs to know what to do in a situation like this. Where things like abortion child mutilation, busyness, a deified state, occultism, run rampant. What do we do? So it brings us to a third third heading. Seven values that I believe need to mark us as a people were to engage in these conflicts in a way that honors the Lord and does good to our neighbors. If you're new to RBC or you, you haven't encountered the statement yet, I want to introduce our mission statement to you. RBC is a family of faith that exists to worship God with joy, to love our neighbors, to see transformed lives, and to send and be sent for the spread of the gospel through Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. That's what we've said. Our mission. That's, that's our mission statement. 
But given the problems that we face, we need to ask another question. What kind of people do we need to be in order to carry out this work? To accomplish this task? Well, we need a fresh and renewed embrace and commitment to acceptable worship offered to the one true and living God. Love for neighbor that is determined by God's wisdom and law rather than our own. Spiritual warfare where we engage moment by moment in the fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Gratitude that isn't merely felt in our hearts, but is expressed in our lives as we devote ourselves to things like prayer and song in this wonderful world full of God's good gifts to us. Radical generosity that isn't content to hold on greedily to those gifts, but willingly parts with them as we show hospitality to a wide range of people that God places in our lives. Giving not just our things, but giving our very selves. Biblical Catholicity that willingly links arms with all who swear allegiance to King Jesus and aren't, in fact, traitors. And finally, a glorious legacy that looks beyond the present moment to decades and even centuries from now in the hope of God's inevitable conquering of the world through the spread of His kingdom, through both the triumph and tragedies that mark the lives of His people living in a fallen world. I think that's the longest sentence I've ever written in my life. Okay, it's probably the longest sentence anyone ever has written in the history of the world. So rather than repeating the whole thing, while any note-takers out there furiously scribble down every third word with the intent of filling in the blanks later, I want to restate these seven values that are contained in it in a bit more of an accessible way in case you missed them. So the first, acceptable worship of the triune God. That's value one, acceptable worship. The second value, lawful love for neighbor. Lawful love for neighbor. Acceptable worship, lawful love. Third, spiritual warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Spiritual warfare. Four, expressed gratitude for all of God's good gifts. Expressed gratitude for all of God's gifts. And this is both when we are living in plenty and living in want. Acceptable worship, lawful love, spiritual warfare, expressed gratitude. Fifth, radical generosity. Radical generosity. Where we give not just our stuff, but our very selves. Sixth, biblical Catholicity. Some of you hear the word Catholicity and begin freaking out. Uh, right? Catholic just means universal. Right? The Roman Catholic Church sort of stole it. We need to reclaim it a bit. Biblical Catholicity is one that embraces anyone who belongs to God's kingdom. Period. And seventh, a glorious legacy. We want to aim at passing on a lasting inheritance to our children's children. And while we're at it, to their children's children. So, acceptable worship, lawful love, 
spiritual warfare, express gratitude, radical generosity, biblical Catholicity, and a glorious legacy. We're going to unpack each of these, Lord willing, over the next seven weeks. One value per week. Full disclosure, I'm not going to be able to say everything that could or probably even should be said about each of these for us to fulfill our mission over the next 10, 20, or 200 years. But I do believe that this series can and, and, and may and must serve as a, another foundational brick as we, seek to build God, God, as we seek to build God's kingdom here and around the world through faithful ministry where we depend upon God's Word and His Spirit every step of the way. So I want, to, I want to, to close like this. Back to Isaiah 5.20 for a minute. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Isaiah 5.20 proves that we are not in some kind of unique situation here in 2024. It's not unique to the world that a culture would call evil things good things and good things evil things. Isaiah proves to us that at least this far back, that was already going on. But if you think about it for a minute, we need to go further back than Isaiah 5.20. To make this point. Think about Genesis 3. Isn't isn't this the exact thing that took place in Genesis 3? Did the serpent not convince Eve that the good and lavish provisions of God were inadequate and evil? That it only revealed stinginess in God? Did he not convince her in some way that the one exception to the lavish provisions, the exception was don't eat this one fruit, this one tree, don't eat from it. He says that, what God says is a bad thing for you to do, that's in fact the good thing to do. Ever since Genesis 3, we've lived in a world attempting to snatch good things from the clutches of God's sovereignty and use them in ways that are wrong. We've lived in a world where bad and evil and wicked things are said to be good. So, while I don't necessarily recommend watching the news a lot, honestly, if that's you, if you're a news watcher and you pay attention to what's going on in the world, don't lose heart. It's nothing new. This has been the play from the beginning. Convince people that good things are evil and convince them that evil things are good. Convince them that darkness is really light and that light is really dark. Convince them that bitter things are sweet and sweet things are bitter. Let's be wise to the scheme. And let us love, truly love, that which is good, that which is true, and that which is beautiful. Knowing that God's word is 
sufficient and authoritative for us to tell us exactly what is good, true, and beautiful. We're not left in the dark. We're not left with hopelessness. We're not left without help in, a, in an age that is so lost. The people around us are aching for meaning and value and truth and love, and they're looking for it in all of the wrong places. Look, when you think about our culture, I think there are absolutely sets of, of bad actors, people who mean nothing but harm and want nothing but destruction. But the vast majority of people caught up in this swell of insanity. Not to say that they're not sinners. Of course they are. But they're genuinely deceived and lost. And we have the message of the living God who sent His Son into the world for people like them, people like us. And so let us embrace Jesus Christ afresh. Let us live by His Spirit, guided by His Word, and commit ourselves to these these values. I encourage and look forward to conversations with you over the next couple of months, several weeks. Push back, press in, ask questions. Let's really benefit from this time together.